Welcome everybody to the Soil Matters and welcome to Leah Aram from Quad Ag. Um, Layton, Av, you guys have both talked to this young lady, so I'll jump off and I'll let you guys have a hell of a good show. All right, thank you. Av, would you like the honors of introduction today? Uh-oh. All right, I guess, I'm, I guess I'll introduce you. Leah, um, welcome to the show, and um, I'm really interested in hearing how you ended up to where you are today, because you definitely took a left turn in your life. <laughs> Funny how that is. Yeah. Uh, I think it's more the, the a door opens and you either charge through it uh, or, or you, you neglect it. And I chose to charge through the door. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I basically came from a marketing background. I've worked in commercial sales in a lot of unsatisfying verticals, although the the, the jobs that I had were very satisfying at those times and I learned a lot from them, but it just it left something a little ungratified. And then we just happened to be introduced to this really amazing farmer who crafts his own formulations. And we just really connected um, on a personal level, but also seeing the beautiful things that he was doing in agriculture and livestock. And we just wanted, my husband and I just wanted to be a part of it. So we founded our company and we initially just started focusing on the agriculture side and then we slowly scaled out into other verticals, but we've really focused on um, how soil is such an important part of um, our overall, our ecology and uh, really diving down into that rabbit hole <laughs> and it goes deep. Um, so I still have much, much to learn. And I've always thought of myself as a consummate student. So I'm always open to learning new things. And this is just something that we've found that's really resonated uh, with us and how we can make a positive impact on the world and food security and agriculture and livestock has become a really important part of our sustenance and, and for people to survive. It's, it's a really important part of our existence. So taking care of that is, is our responsibility. Amen to that. And yeah, you know, I've only agree with you when I say I, I, you can't stop learning. I mean, as soon as you stop learning, you become an expert that knew something somewhere in time because there's still so much to discover. Absolutely. Incredible. incredible. So, all right, let's let's talk a little bit about um, the the company that you formed and what are you what are you actually doing? So, Quad Egg is uh, one of our brands. Um, we formed the Quad Agency uh, as a means to propel and advocate for humic and fulvic acids, so humic substances, as part of supplementation. So, we focus on plants, animals, and humans. Um, but Quad Egg, in particular, is focusing on humic and fulvic substances in, uh, in cultivation, in farming, whether that's indoor, outdoor. We've worked in every sort of grow modality from uh, living soil and compost teas all the way to aeroponics. So we really want to bring the essence of what makes soil so beautiful and functional, which our humic and fulvic is a big part of that. There's a whole lot of biology that goes along with that as well, but we complement that. Um, but it's a safe, I've sort of referred to it as the gateway biostimulant that allows people to sort of tinker into the biostimulant side of things without it being overly complicated, um, being uh, compromising of their system, whatever their grow system is. But we can bring the essence of that soil into, in particular, into 
uh, greenhouse agriculture and other forms of greenhouse or controlled environment agriculture um, and bring that magic of what is soil and what makes soil work so well with plants into an environment that does not conform with soil. So we're sort of oh. in the mission of bringing, um, of bringing that uh, true essence of what makes soil beautiful and the exchange of nutrients into an environment that is um, not typical. <laughs> Plants don't naturally grow in an inert environment. So how do you bring some of that, um, that you know, nature without the contamination, which is sort one, of where One thing that you said that I'd really love to suss out was it brings some of the magic of soil. So for the audience, if, if you don't understand um, the breakdown process, we call them primary, secondary, and tertiary metabolites. And that's essentially what humic and folics are because they're part of the breakdown process. We, we, we tend to call it biogeochemical interactions or reactions. Um, they get so complex, they're so quick, um, some of them are longer, but bottom line is that something that we just can't, we can qualify, we just can't quantify yet at this point in time. But that's the beauty of what you're talking about. Av, welcome back. I don't know what happened. Blew up, disappeared. <laughs> I think I think StreamYard doesn't really like the Maritimes. So I'm struggling, struggling to stay on, I'm, but it works on my phone. Um, my apologies. I'm, I'm sure Leah's got more, more to say now. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so we were just talking about how what she's doing is actually kind of bringing in some of the magic that, that happens within the soil process or, or the biogeochemical reactions that are occurring in the, in the soil itself. Um, so that's kind of where we are in the conversation. But um, yeah, and I think, I think that so many people don't understand the value for both humans and animals with the, these materials that they're being starved of at this point in time. Whereas before, when they were natural in the natural environment, they'd rip up a plant and they'd eat it and they'd eat the roots too. So they would get the benefits of the folic and humic acids. Whereas they're with the feed rates and recipes and formulas, they're just not getting that. So what have you found in, in animal health? Let's start there as far as. Sure. So with animal health, and this is all livestock and poultry that has been tested. Now we're in Canada. So uh, we have full range of all livestock uh, breeds and species as well as poultry. Um, what they're finding is what, what's being found pretty consistently is uh, overall animal health has improved greatly. And when you're dealing with livestock animals, especially livestock for food chain, so for human consumption, um, they are all natural. So they're all certified and, and, and rated and, and approved for, for animal consumption for, for human ultimately for human consumption. Uh, but we're finding is uh, improved health overall for the animals, uh, better efficiency of nutrient uptake. So just like you'd see in plants, we're seeing in animals as well. Uh, humic in particular helps to protect the mucus lining of the gut tract. Um, it's very beneficial in ruminating animals. Um, again, it reduces the gassing effect of their digestion. They're better able to absorb uh, proteins from their food. Uh, so they get lower gas rates uh, in a barn environment because you're dealing with commercial environments. There's lower ammonia rate, which means that it's more hospitable environment for those animals and the workers who are working in those environments. Um, you know, trying to 
lean towards making it a, a healthier, happier environment where those animals only have one bad day uh, <laughs> is the ultimate goal. Um, it's not a, you know, I'm not against veganism and, and I, I, I'm, everyone has their, their, their culinary choice and, but there are still going to be people that will want to eat proteins and animal proteins. So making it a, a, a healthier environment for them, for the workers, um, but uh, yeah, they're from a from a tactical standpoint from livestock operators, they're looking at how do you reduce the cost of farming because it's always the biggest issue. Um, so feed conversion is a huge part of if you, the animals can get more nutrients out of the food that they're consuming, then you can be a bit more conservative on the rations. It's not starving the animals, just they're utilizing those nutrients more efficiently. Um, subsequently, with humic and fulvic as part of the diet, um, their manure becomes more bioavailable nutrients as well. So when they're utilizing that manure as part of their fertilizer program and keeping it, keeping the circular economy going and keeping it not entirely closed loop, but somewhat closing the loop a little bit, uh, you're able to improve the efficiency of those nutrients in the soil that raises the crops to feed those animals. So we're looking at that that circular economy and how do we make it more efficient and cost effective for the farmers, but also having healthier, happier animals that can get over illness faster. They can get to market weight faster, which means they're less cost on the farmer. This farmer can then turn more over and they have a better livelihood, really. So one of the amazing things you just said um, was less ammonia in the environment. I don't know if you've read many of the studies, but it, it's incredible how badly that affects or negatively affects the animal's uh, health, uh, well-being, ability to function, like you said, uh, you know, get to market weight, all, all of those key things. Um, because think about it, if you were stuck in an environment where you were breathing poor quality air, that, that's half your life right there is, is that exchange, that gas exchange and how important it is. Um, there was Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say there were some incredible studies on poultry specifically. Um, I have not read many on on rheumatoids or, or cows of milking or, or meat otherwise. But um, maybe have you? Could you talk a little bit more on on just that one piece? Sure. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Think about ammonia is a gas that settles. So they're breathing in the environment where the gas settles. So if you look at swine, poultry. Um, or other sort of more ground feeding animals. Uh, for the most part, bovine can at least raise their heads a little bit above that line, but still they're, they're immersed in that space. Um, when you can reduce the PPM of the ammonia in the barn environment, and like Canada's standards is they want it to be at least 20, at least down to 25 PPM. And at 25 PPM, you're still animals can still suffer from lesions, respiratory distress, and that stress leads to cortisol. Cortisol can inhibit their digestion and their uptake. It's, it's a cascading thing. So if you can reduce the ammonia in those barn systems, you have less stress that those animals are living, like it, there's less stress on the animal. They're living happier, healthier lives. And, and they, pr they produce a better quality meat. If they're digesting properly, they're taking in the proper nutrients. All those things compound and, and improve the product, but also the journey that those animals have in their lives. So there's definitely been a huge increase in 
the productivity in those environments commercially, uh, the quality of life of the animals, of the people working there, because they're also impacted by a highly gaseous area and, and being in a confined space. Um, and as you mentioned, if they're not pasture raised or don't have the opportunity to be pasture raised, they have no access to humic and fulvic as part of their diet, which they would normally in the wild or in a, at least in a pasture raised environment. They don't have access to that, then they're not going to have, there's, you have to supplement it. And it's the same thing with people. When our food is not grown in rich, healthy soil, we don't have access to fulvic acid. Fulvic acid does the same thing for the human body as it does for animals, as it does for plants. Its role is a chelator. So it is going to pick up nutrients and help your body digest it. It allows for those nutrients to pass through cell walls and tissue walls a lot easier. So it, it's really beneficial in the livestock space because you can you can improve the overall health of those animals. Um, and produce a better quality product in the end. And it should cost the farmers a little bit less because they're not only able to utilize a little bit less, there's less waste in the food and the feed that they're producing or providing to those animals. Uh, but their, as I mentioned, their manure becomes a part of their system because I very rarely will you find a, a, a cattle farm or a, any, any livestock farm that isn't trying to produce some of their own uh, feed and feedstock. So, being able to support that is uh, is something that's become sort of a, a big part of what our initiative is. Um, Leah, are you seeing it used almost exclusively as a feed additive in, in livestock production or are people using it as a spray for bedding or, or just on, on, uh, on compost or anything like that? It depends on how pioneering the uh, the farm is. <laughs> um, there's there are lots of studies that are coming out on livestock because it's obviously uh, it's it's an industry that's heavily invested in for R and D and research. Um, not so much on the companion or hobby side of of animal health, uh, but we are seeing that there's a lot more in that vein in terms of feedlot efficiencies. Um, weaning as well. It's another big area is making maintaining the young uh, livestock health as they're weaning. Um, there's a period called scour, which is basically diarrhea. It's a transition from mother's milk onto their grain diets. Um, and there's it, that period of time, the longer it is, the more their body weight goes down. So overall health, even through that pay, phase, is becoming more and more apparent. And so you're seeing a greater adoption I see, uh, but the sometimes the way into working with some of these farms is to work on their field, show them that humic and fulvic can have a real impact in the the grain and what whatever they're raising, whatever the crop they're great raising for those livestock, um, and then work our way in the other way. So it works in in tandem for the most part, but a lot of times, you know, we, we're we're trying to help with the animal health because it's a big concern. It's a huge investment for these types of farms. Um, and yeah, and it's, uh, so yeah, you, you'll see it sort of either either way. And, and um, of course, you know that Leighton's all about, uh, all about fish as well. Yes. Uh, where, where does humic and fulvic fit into the, uh, the uh, fish world? So interestingly, it fits really well into the aquaculture side of things. Um, we're, we've got some data from our products there. We're just waiting for the, the study to be released. So uh, there's not a whole lot that I can get into on that specifically, but on a generality standpoint, um, there is definitely a, an increase in hatch rates 
So the carbon from the humic can actually coat the cell walls of those eggs as a protective layer. And humic acid has uh, uh, an ability to reduce gram-negative bacteria, so it can help reduce the compromise of those eggs to allow better hatch-through rate. So you get better swim-through swim rates um, of those hatchlings to almost double. So where you might see like 40 to 50% hatch through rate in an untreated tank, a treated tank might see between 80 to 90% hatch through rate, which from, a, from an ecological conservancy standpoint means if you're running a hatchery to help maintain the fish stock in, in an, a stream, so for like spawning fish, for example, salmonoid species, you're going to get a better hatch through rate, they're going to come back. <laughs> and that's what we're looking for is that better cycling backs years later of those same fish that have spawned and were raised in that stream and in that ecosystem for them to come back and spawn again. So having that increased rate is going to be very, very important. When we start looking at including humic and fulvic as part of the pellet feed system, say in farmed fish of various types of whether that's on land pen salmon uh, or on land pen fish or um, in in situ in actual uh, out like wild penned um, uh, or ocean penned rather, uh, they're fed pellets. And so if you can feed them the humic and fulvic through the pellets, because obviously pouring a liquid in a liquid is not going to work, <laughs> they can then consume that and it acts as a gut modifier as well. So we're getting data back on the gut biome as well of these fish to determine the overall benefit between the treated and untreated as well. So if you, again, can see that the, the gut biome is equally as important and it serves the same function that the soil does for plants, if you look at them in that same vein, is they're, they're playing the same role. It's just a different organism that they're working with. So I got to add something on that one. <laughs> uh, before I get too down the rabbit hole on folic acid and the benefits of the gut, um, I, a lot of people don't understand that fish have two stomachs. Um, one is outside the biofilm that's coated to their body. Um, that's why they have such an incredible feed conversion rate is because they're absorbing a tremendous amount of nutrient on through biofilm digestion, and it's going directly in between the scales uh, into the fish itself. So I think that in many ways, especially in those ocean pens, um, if you were feeding them pellets, they'll always crash the surface because you don't want sinking pellets, obviously, because you're going to lose them. Um, so while the fish are crashing, if you were spraying a humic acid on the fish themselves, you probably might get a really interesting uh, reaction on their second stomach, which is their, you know, their biological uh, biofilm. Yeah. Um, so keep keep that in mind because you know I when we talked at, at uh, grow up, I was just like my head just went fucking sideways because of, I started thinking about you know what you're doing and the way you're approaching it, and you know. I'm in the middle of dealing with this, uh, this muncher team and, and understanding more of what's called aerobic digestion um, and the benefits that, that through aerobic digestion you can get. And one of the key things is that mucus lining in the stomach and, and how important that is. And that's what makes me think that you are getting those, those increased reactions not only through that supporting the, the gut uh, mucus with the humics, but you're getting better digestion through the into intercellular with the fulvics. So you've got like this perfect 
storm of things that are being provided to the animals, whether they're aquatic or, or terrestrial. Absolutely. Uh, my, my analogy is humic is like building the bigger dinner plate and the felvic is a bigger fork. So whatever the organism is, is you're, you're better able to digest. You're protecting the beneficial and probiotic bacteria that you want because they're contributing. Um, and you're reducing the, uh, the gram negative bacteria, which is pathogenic. So if you're able to balance that out and it's still use more of a carrier, the fulvic acts as that carrier, you get better uptake of those nutrients. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's in, in the livestock side of things and on the aquaculture side of things, the, um, uh, the, where you're talking about that, the, the, biofilm on the exterior of the fish. I mean, this is why you see so many parasites and everything on, on the exterior of those fish, especially in those outdoor pens, is that they're exposed to it and they have no protection to it because it's everything's dysfunctional. So if we're able to at least at least get fulvic and humic on the inside, then we're at least better able to, or the, the animal's better able to digest and assimilate and have a bit more immunity and improve that exterior function. You know, that was that was a constant conversation in, in aquaculture was was parasites and the problems with them. Um, one of the things I learned early on was to um, eliminate any anaerobic pockets. And this is the unfortunate part of heavy duty commercial f fish farming is that the amount of waste that's that's created in the aquaculture system. And when, I don't want to say like in the water itself. Um, is always an issue and you know again like because of commercial fishing and the relationship of how many fish they can stuff in that pen based on the dollars and cents at the end of the day the roi which is always so incredible or is so important in in you know the money that's why they're there is to make money um i could see endless benefits of of giving this to them and 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 spraying it on them too because you're you're, you're yeah. going to increase that ability to fight off the parasites um, because again it's like we talk about full plant potential or genetic potential in in plants yeah. well that same thing can be reached with with our our food sources if you provide these basic super important uh nutrients like the chelated chelating ah, chelating value of humic and the delivery of fulvic it's it's just a win-win it is. I mean, and that's why they're complemented in nature. So yes. <laughs> why not just take that and, and introduce it into unnatural environments or unnatural systems or where things are dysfunctional? So this is off topic, but how did you end up jumping into this? <laughs> I'm a hippie at heart. I grew up on Vancouver Island. I grew up uh, just being surrounded by nature. Um, I was in a medical family, so I grew up and I am in a medical family. So just growing up around science and finding a way to merge the two things, it was, it's a, it was a journey to get to where we are. But um, as soon as we found it, as soon as I was talking with the owner of this company that we, we, we've partnered with and, um, and hearing their story and just that familial feeling of like, I want to be a part of this somehow. I've got to figure out a way to be a part of this. So we've just developed brands and we've brought it into these different markets. And it's just, we just found something that's, I don't know, 
It's a heart song. I don't know how else to say it. We just, we found something that really spoke to us viscerally. And it was just like, this is something that we need to do. Soul food. Totally. Totally. We're the the custodians of our earth. And we all are, this is my sense of responsibility is that if I can contribute and this is the way in which I can contribute, then that's what I'll do. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's funny. Um, I think that we call them large spirited humans. You have small spirited humans who are mean and nasty and, you know, narcissistic and, but then you have large spirited people and and the large spirited people tend to gravitate towards things that are, you know, the foundation of all life soil, right? Life, health, you know, all of those things. And they bring such a great return, not monetarily, but, you know, making, making you feel better as a human and, and more excited to get up each day. Totally. Um, but anyway, so, all right, Av, looks like he's got a question. Go ahead. I think this is a, a, a great opportunity. Uh, uh, do you want to talk a little bit about Hiram right now? Uh, <laughs> I think uh, the way Leighton just described people and, and good, big-spirited humans, I think that's Hiram in, in a nutshell. I think that's Hiram in a nutshell, yeah. So Hiram uh, is our, our the, the gentleman who has created these formulas, and he is... Uh, a brilliant scientist at heart, uh, but he is a farmer by trade and he's a cash cropper and he raises pigs and his whole family is involved in, in, in their, in their whole operations. Um, and he's just one of the most incredibly humble and, um, overly humble individuals and he will never uh, accolade himself. <laughs> Everyone's always having to say, no, hire him so much more. Um, yeah, just a really, really, truly wonderful person uh, who's spent over 25, probably close to 30 years now working and developing his own way of extracting humic and fulvics. Um, and he's, he's, he's spent a long time doing this and he's worked tirelessly, not only as a farmer, but in, in developing these these formulations and figuring out the right way to position them and not getting into the nutrient side of things because people are going to have their own method of providing nourishment, whether it's to their plants or their animals, it's not diving into that side of things, but really just focusing on um, how to bring these very vital uh, components of nature into uh, everyone's lives and and bringing it into uh, almost common knowledge for people to really understand that there's, there's something much more important than just putting it in your soil to grow plants. It's, it really is something that's beneficial to plants, animals, and humans. Really every organism who, well, everything that exists will inevitably break down and, and humify and become these components. So it is just sort of life recycling itself. So he's got, he's got an amazing ability to, you know, speak to a biodynamic or an organic farmer and, and, and speak at their level. But he could also speak to that farmer who has just sprayed some, some glyphosate, some Roundup, and then talk about the, the power and, and the uh, ability of, of humic acid, making sure that that manganese that's now become harder for that plant to, to uptake, that it's going to be in a reduced form because of the humic acid. And so he can, he can speak at, a, you know, Having Hiram speak to farmers is just amazing to watch because it's there. It's just so much respect 
for for the farmer and then speaking at whatever level they're at and it's just it's it's great to see and that's a, a big reason why i'm i'm such a big fan of of um of the quad ag products and and yeah just looking forward to having leah share a few more of those uh case studies where mm-hmm. where it it does talk about how if if you were a bit on the fence and and really um i mean Humic substances are by far the the largest selling biostimulant in the market. Um, but as you mentioned, it's the quality. It's the quality of the product, and that's that's where you want to be uh, um, distinguishing it because because not all humic substances and humic acids, fulvic acids, are, are created equal. No. Um, and maybe that's a good opportunity to sort of dive into a little bit of the differences um, that I've I've come across. So every time we come across a, a humic or fulvic product, we uh, we buy it and then we send it to a lab so that we have a good understanding of what that product profile is. Um, so there's a lot of there's a few different sources where you can extract humic and fulvic acids from. Um, there's basically they're old water sediments that have humified in really extended periods of rot uh, <clears throat> to the tune of hundreds of thousands of years in many cases. Uh, where we source our product is from a, a, a material called Leonardite. It's a soft brown coal. It's very nutrient rich. It's very dense. Um, but it's it's not at a lignified state, and um, so it's a it's the optimal. It's perceived as the optimal source for humic and fulvics. Um, we have two separate extraction processes. So one is specific to humic acid, and one specific to fulvic acid. So where this uh, this process, this proprietary process, really has created um, an end product that is not only really highly soluble because we only extract into a liquid. So we don't extract um, dehydrate down into a powder and then reconstitute into a liquid. We lose some of the sort of essence of what makes our product a little bit different. Um, uh, Our humic acid is uh, a very high concentration uh, and depending on which test you run on it, and there are different tests. So if you see a, a percentage on a label, it really helps to understand what test that percentage is being it, it was derived from. Um, one would be a precipitate test. You're often going to see that percentage is going to be a little bit lower because it's testing for the actual carbon in that product. Um, the other test would be a more colorimetric or spectrometry test. And that one's going to be more about light refraction. So it's about light density getting through. So you'll tend to see a higher percentage in, in those types of products. Some of the confusion around humic and fulvic, especially about fulvic, is there are certain regions, um, particularly in the estates, California, that doesn't recognize fulvic acid. And so everything has to be labeled humic. And so it causes a lot of confusion when people are trying to understand what is this product? What am I buying it for? And if they do do a little bit of research and they understand they want a humic for this for this type of role or this function, and they want to fulvic for this function, in California, you can't identify the different products. You need to be outside of California or use a VPN so that your IP address is outside of California in order to get that material. You're not allowed to access it if you're in California, which is bizarre. Up until recently, Oregon was the same, but they've changed their tune and they've shifted. And so they now accept fulvic acid as an ingredient and we're allowed to disclose that. Um, But that being said, uh, when humic acid is uh, extracted, it's going to have carry a negative charge. It's so heavy with carbon that it replicates the soil. Soil has a negative charge. 
your nutrients typically will have a more for the most part will have a positive charge. And it's this magnetism between um, that negative charge and the positive charge. So in the soil environment, your negatively charged soil is going to hold on to a certain capacity of those positively charged ions and allow for better migration into the plant. Uh, where humic acid has a deeper negative charge, like ours has a very deep negative charge to about negative 450, um, you're going to hold on to a whole lot more water and nutrients. You get better water retention within the media that you're growing in, whatever it is, and you better retention of nutrients as well that the plants can then access at, at leisure. So fulvic acid on the other side is actually a component of the humic acid molecule, but it can also be extracted independently. It's 45% oxygen. It's a very powerful, effective chelator for such a tiny molecule, and it carries a positive charge. It has a unique ability, even though it's positively charged, to be able to hold on to positively charged ions, especially the really stubborn ones like calcium and magnesium, which adds to its benefit in a lot of plant agriculture. Uh, again, that magnetism, that gravitation between the positive and negative, when the two are used together, there's just this magic that typically happens in the soil. You can bring that into an indoor environment. You can bring that into a hydroponic environment. You can create that relationship and you can convince the plants that you're growing that they are in an organic matter rich environment even if they're in a cocoa or if they're in a rock wall or if they're in a deep water culture, you convince the plant that they're in that environment and they respond accordingly, which is amazing to see when you see that side by side comparison where that's the only difference is that they, they've added humic and fulvic to see that difference in the physiology of the plants. It's really beautiful to see. Um, when people overlook the humic and fulvic, um, or if, if they've started to explore a humic and fulvic, it is, and I think, Av, you had dropped off at this point, humic and fulvic really is the gateway biostimulant. Like if you're intimidated by the microbiology and you're intimidated by the mycorrhizae, you don't want to commit to that because you think it's too much or you might screw it up. Humic and fulvic is a really easy way to get into that side of agriculture, bring some regenerative components into however you're growing, because it makes a big difference. And it's a, such a small component that can have such a big impact. So I'm always excited when people do integrate it into their system and they're like, yep, I can see it. It's night and day. It's a, it's a really exciting thing to see that transition from somebody who's been dedicated to salts, that's all they're going to do until like, okay, maybe this is a good, like it's a stepping stone. And then they can follow a little bit farther down that path and start to explore um, different beneficial microbes that they can start to see that will actually improve more than just the soil, but also if they're running it through their reservoir, they can also address biofilm. They can address a lot of different things by incorporating these additives that are not just about the plant, it's about the whole ecosystem. So yeah. it's helping people sort of see outside of just plant, nourish the plant, nourish the plant. It's like you feed the soil, the soil is always intended to feed the plant. So you feed the soil, the soil will feed the plant. It was one of the um, interesting things to trying to get some of the conventional growers using humic acid. And this is, this is probably about 20 years ago. And, and, and uh, the way I, the way I got them to use it, and I was hoping that they'd use it for its biostimulant practices, but um, they had reservoirs in their greenhouses. Of course, their, their reservoirs were, were trans, transparent yeah. and, and of course algae was growing in it so i said well start using some humic acid it'll give a color to the water and then and of course then they started realizing that there was no more biofilm in their in their emitters and uh, became big users of, of of humic acid from that point um yeah. 
but I also wanted to just, uh, and, and I don't mean this to be a plug for quad ag products, <laughs> but by all means, it, it, is a, it, is, it is a great, <laughs> it is a great line of products, but there's something that's unique about your, your humic and fulvic is that their pHs are representative of their extraction methodology. Whereas I often find the pHs are often um, altered in, in other products. Uh, do you care to comment on that or do you, are you familiar with that? Well, I can speak a little bit about um, just in, in the way that they, they obviously function really well. Humic, humic acid is only soluble at an alkaline pH. So you're very limited in the, in the range in which you can use a humic acid. If you're operating in a highly acidic environment, you are going to have precipitate. You are going to have sediment. Um, which is something that we want to avoid, especially in like a line fed system or fertigation system. You don't want any clogging of that infrastructure. It's expensive and it's timely and costly to have to clean it out. Um, fulvic acid, it can be extracted and it's soluble at any pH. We keep ours at a very low pH because we find that in, in, a, in a reservoir environment, oftentimes you're looking to try to buffer down a little bit and it's a chelator. So you want it to bind to the nutrients. It functions at all pH, but if we extract it out and keep it at a low pH, then it actually works as a natural pH down. So you're not adding chemical to pH down. You can just use fulvic acid, which is going to provide a pH down. Our fulonic product is our pure fulvic acid. Um, it pH is down. Um, at, a, at a reasonable rate, like not over the top, but like at a reasonable rate, it's all, it's, again, it's, it's pretty foolproof. Um, but you can, you're using it also as an uptake promoter. Yeah. So you're using it to improve the bioavailability of the nutrients you're putting into that reservoir or into that feed so that you have better uptake and, and digestion of those nutrients. And, so, and for any organic grower who's, you know, using some soluble nutrients mm -hmm. and needs to pH down. It's it's what what a great opportunity because, uh, you know, a lot of folks will try dropping their pH with citric acid. It just doesn't work as well. So not the same. Great opportunity. Well, and it's short lived, yeah. and yeah. That, that, and that's the challenge is that it, it it buffers down for a short bit, but then if you leave it too long or if it sits too long, um, it's going to start to climb up and creep up again. So you're constantly, and then if you overdo it, then you're you're constantly doing this dance. Yeah. Um, and that and this is where I find a lot of people get like, oh, it's just, it's too much. And they, and they kind of recoil against going that regenerative or more or natural uh, nutrient options and going down that path because it can be more complicated. If they don't have the time or the bandwidth, they just want the nutrients to work. This is a really great way that you can make it very safe to have, and it, it also allows for a, a window for pH swings. So if you do have a pH swing, when you have fulvic acid in the system, it does allow for your plants to self-regulate. So even if the pH is a little high or if it's a little low, it does allow your plant, you, you have a bit more time to make those corrections without the plant stressing. So I, I, I think it's your buffer period. For that too. I'm not sure if that if that's warranted, but uh, in terms of of creating a more of a pH buffer, I feel like humic acid allows that forgiveness as well. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, I I find that with um, when people are looking at well, every grower has uh, and the the array of different growers that we've worked with from um, small hobby farms to very large commercial facilities. 
uh, balancing not only just the pH of their system, but also the PPM. So when they're when their PPM shoots up and they need to, you know, they're shifting programs, they're moving into a flower program, or they're trying to accelerate at the late stage in flower. Oftentimes, depending on the nutrients, they're, they're driving their PPM up. Um, we've had guys just for fun that have used one of our products does have a nitrogen additive to it. And they've driven the PPM upwards of 2,700 and it still didn't stress the plants out. And it wasn't until they reached a little over 2,900 PPM that they started to see the stress present. And so they dialed it back and then everything kind of resolved. But they were surprised that they were able to get the formulation that hot and have the nutrients, like that type of nutrient load in the reservoir without the plant stressing out. And I'm like, yeah, because fulvic acid is in there and it's allowing the plant to regulate itself because not only chelation works both ways, it's in and out. So chelation in is what's going to allow those tougher, bigger molecules and those ions to come into the plant. But it also allows the plant to expel nutrients or excess and waste or toxins that it doesn't need. So you get better regulation, self-regulation, and so you get a lot better uptake, better performance, but you're not going to see those stressors. You know, you, you just hit a home run with that. And, and pH is such an issue that people don't understand. And yeah, you know, pH yo-yoing is what you were talking about, where you're up, down, up, down, is a horrible for the biology for the ecology and the plant itself. It's, it's, you might as well, you might as well just start over at that point. If you're yo, you're, yeah. you're never going to get potential or genetic potential. Um, and yeah, you're so right on the fact that both of these acids, these organic acids do allow the plant to uh, regulate its own pH. Now this was something that I talked about years ago and everybody laughed at me. I'm like, no, in the rhizosphere, the plant has the ability to create these compounds to adjust for, for pH that it doesn't want to be in or for adjusting the pH to harvest things that they want. Because remember, pH is, is the, the ultimate regulator of the ability of, for nutrients to be solubilized. So again, you know, I'd I, I love to hear the proprietary knowledge, but I know you can't share that <laughs> because I've, I've played with this for, for years and, and, I can pretty much kind of guess what you're doing. Um, and I think that's why this particular product shines. Um, Bob Faust, I, I think we talked about him. He's, he's always been my hero for, for what he did and went through to get humic acid brought to the attention of Americans. Um, <clears throat> and he's probably the reason why they finally accept fulvic in, in Oregon. And California is just a bunch of fucking idiots. So, you know, I I love what he did. He calls it full power. Yeah, a few gray hairs because of them. <laughs> oh, you, have no, you have no idea how really bad it is. It took uh, two and a half years to get our organ, our OIM through California. Oh, yeah. No, no doubt. No doubt. And and that, you're lucky. That's that's pretty quick. <laughs> it was but, tenacity. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. 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 That's what it takes. And. And those regulators, they'll, they'll just sit on their haunches. They don't care. But yeah. and, and then they want you to hire a consultant. And that consultant and them go out for beers every Friday night and laugh at how much they've charged you to get through your regulatory shit. Yeah, don't get me started. We didn't, go through, right? we didn't go through any consultants. Well, that's – and again, getting <laughs> that done in two and a half years is miraculous. So yeah. kudos. Um, but I think you – know, Again, that is one of the most important things that people don't understand about humic and fulvic. It's all about the extraction. 
if you're extracting with really, really harsh chemicals, that's usually why you get those pHs too high or too low. But if you're using other processes, which I believe you are, you're not going to get those kinds of situations. You're not going to get those residual uh, acids and bases coming through on the product. Yeah. And the other side of that, too, is the lenadite itself. You know, um, Av wanted to talk about silt, and we never really got a chance to go down that rabbit hole. But essentially, that's what that lenardite is, is, is yeah. a silt that hasn't been converted into a hydrocarbon yet. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, where, can you tell us where you're harvesting, where your mine is? Um, the harvesting is done in, it's in North America. It's in, it's okay. in the U S just cause that's currently where it is, but we're, we're currently qualifying uh, a different source that is Canadian okay. uh, it's out here in BC. Um, Having a, a consistent product because we because of you know regulatory compliance, uh, we have to submit samples about twenty times a year randomly uh, to CFIA to for the Canadian registrations uh, to ensure that we have you know the heavy metals, any microbials, all of those need to be well below any acceptable limits. So our um, our source is a North American source, but there are loads of sources globally. So there's a lot of access to the raw material. The process, obviously, are, are we, we are, we're super proud that we have this unique process that gives us a very uh, clean, highly concentrated, highly soluble product with these unique charge. Um, and it's not the source material that leads to the, the unique charge. It's the actual process in which they're extracted. Um, but yeah, as you were saying, like the, the, the chemical component of the extraction process um, it is a big part of it, of what can there's you can extract directly from the source or this for some fulvic acids for example they they'll extract from a humic acid source so you'll usually get a trace humic acid and this is where the confusion is in somewhere like California is that they're claiming that trace element of humic acid so if you see a humic acid product but it's like 0.06% it's probably fulvic acid but they just can't say it so this misguidance on what the role is of each of these products is really it's really hard. And I think that that's the our biggest challenge has been that learning curve, especially where, you know, our California counterparts and the people we work with there, they're like, yeah, I could go to the shop and buy a humic. And I'm like, but you don't know what you're buying. If you look at the pH of it, if you have a humic acid that's like a 6.8, I'd really question putting that in your system because as soon as there's a, any further pH down, you're going to have precipitate. You're going to have clogged lines. You're going to it's going to contribute to biofilm. It's going to be problematic. And I think historically, where people have you know, you talk to farmers and you say, "Oh, I've got a liquid carbon." They're like, "I've tried carbon. No thanks. Um, it's just gummed up my irrigation system. Don't want to use it because of the way that it had been or previous." techniques in which uh, people were extracting were you the source material wasn't ground fine enough or um, it wasn't uh, as a clean quality so there was heavy metal contaminants there was other issues that were problematic with the formula or the product and there's lots of humics you can find online that are powdered you lose that charge when you go to a dried formula and when you reconstitute it now you're looking at what is the quality of the water that I am dissolving this powder into? And you need to give it time to sort of acclimate into that liquid environment and then do all your testing and pH testing and, and all of that. 
it becomes onerous. I mean, the alternative is that you take a ground leonardite or a humic powder and you just add it right into the soil and mix it in. But now you're relying on the microbiology to break that down. So now it's going to take some time. So in a living soil environment, that's great. They're turning their soil over. They're reutilizing their soil. In a lot of till farming, um, it works okay there as well. Again, they're going to see results over years, not immediately. So again, it's the time that you're investing into it. When you're in a highly converting environment like indoor greenhouses, produce greenhouses, where they're going to have three to four crops a year, having a, a, a carbon powder that's going into their liquid system, they're very reticent to doing that. It, I mean, that that's probably hundreds of thousands of dollars of hang up if they've got to spend a week or two flushing a system. They could be producing 10,000 kilos of cucumbers uh, off of a, you know, a two acre parcel in a greenhouse. That's a, that's a lot of revenue lost over a two to three week span to try to clear out a system. So there's a lot of hesitation in greenhouse environments and closed environment, closed environments, um, just because historically the products have had some challenges in more contained uh, distribution. If you're spraying out into a field, usually the valves are big enough that it's not going to be too much of an issue. But as we we're talking about the reservoirs, yeah, it's a lot, it's a lot, it's a, it's actually a benefit to keeping those lines easier to, to be more readily cleaned out. And in fact, humic and fulvics can be used in septic systems. So you can actually use them to biodegrade organic material uh, in anaerobic di or anaerobic digestive environments that are they, they they perform in a lot of different ways. So it's it was a it was interesting when we started with this. We started with agriculture. We started with plant agriculture because we were really passionate about plants and food security. Um, in Canada, it, you know, with cannabis being legalized is when we sort of got started. We're like, this is going to be a great opportunity to bring some of this into commercial cannabis production and hemp because there's a lot of benefit that these plants can provide. So let's get behind this. Um, and it quickly spilled over. We started to see the, the animal, like the livestock benefits. And then it spilled even further over. And we're like, but if animals, then people. And we know that when people consume fulvic acid in particular, it can resolve a lot of symptoms from a lot of different ailments. And we see that. So it kind of, it, the spillover effect was just really quite... Uh, uh, almost overwhelming because we just dove down into all these rabbit holes kind of at the same time. A four-year span is a very short amount of time to dive into three different industries. Um, but it was, we just saw the benefit of all of all three realms. So we, we just kind of couldn't hold back. <laughs> well, they're all connected, right? <laughs> yeah, it's hard to be like, well, we'll go here because that one is, and that one's not so important. Like the people aren't that important. I'm, I have a, I have several health issues. I have a few autoimmune disorders. So when I was first introduced that I could take this and how it would benefit me, it's been, uh, very much a game changer for me. I have hypothyroidism. I have uh, celiac disease. I have uh, Raynaud's. I have uh, a lot of uh, food allergies. Uh, and I've found by being consistent with having fulvic in particular for me, um, we are going to be releasing a, a humic fulvic combination product soon. We're just getting a bunch of testing done. 
but our fulvic product has been, we, we were taking it before we even flavored it. So it was just the fulvic acid. Um, the flavored version tastes amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's a ginger citrus. It is, it's just like having a bit of a, a little spicy lemon tea. It's, it's delicious and it's so easy to consume. It's just a capful, it's five mil, it's a teaspoon once or twice a day. Um, and, and the, the results, it's, it's been, I think the most gratifying thing is to, to hand samples out to friends and family or just people within our network and within days, just check in and be like, so how are you feeling? How are you finding it? They're like, oh my gosh. Right. So have a visceral reaction within a few days where people can be like, I have, I've, especially right now, we've been focusing on people who have SIBO, like really focusing on gut biome because it, it is a a challenge for a lot of people, like people who say I have IBS, a lot of them probably have SIBO and whether their doctors have tested them for it or not, um, most don't, but if they have been tested for it, we've found that within a few days or within a week, generously, within a week or two, they're coming back and saying, I have not had any symptoms and it's not a miracle cure. It's just really just something that helps the body better acclimate to whatever the issue is. And if you're better able to absorb your nutrients and your minerals, you have a stronger immunity, your body can combat the, the imbalance, but it's also going to promote, because it is a carbon, it is going to act as a prebiotic. So it's going to promote your beneficial bacteria. It's going to promote the probiotics, especially if you're taking a probiotic to provide a food source, it's going to be really important to do that. So it's 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 really fun to kind of dive down and and, and experience other people's um, or, or share in other people's experiences from reduced inflammation, um, joint pain, rheumatoid arthritis. You know, these are elements that people are living with and sort of just dealing with and have accepted that this is the level of pain that they have to deal with or the discomfort that they have to deal with, and they don't. There's simple dietary changes that that can improve it doesn't replace their diet uh, i have to take certain supplements but i find that it does help i don't have to take as many of those supplements and i'm getting the same results as if i were increased had an, a higher level of that so you know we see the same thing in the in plant nutrient programs we can reduce the amount of nutrients by 15 to 25 percent. so we can do the same thing with people yeah you know it goes back to that mucus Right. You're, you're building that mucus, which is therefore digesting those, you know, anaerobically digesting those minerals in a, in a, in a available form that you can uptake. So I can see how it would be hugely beneficial. Uh oh, what happened? <laughs> that was new. <laughs> so quick intermission, just a quick. <laughs> Mix it up there, Oz. So please do share what are the benefits you have found. You told us what you've been suffering. Now, how how did they benefit you when you started? So for me, for me personally, um, I have Hashimoto's. So my hypothyroidism is uh, an autoimmune. Um, um, I've had two kids. I learned of my Hashimoto's when I had my daughter, who's eleven and oh, almost oh, ten and a half now, almost eleven. Um, I was through my blood work when I was pregnant that I discovered that I, I was hypothyroid. Um, and through pregnancy thing, like my, my medication was pretty balanced. I had my son uh, almost five years ago, coming up to five years ago. Uh, and af 
basically after that, through my pregnancy and through the first probably two years postpartum, uh, my levels were all over the place. Um, my medication would swing. Um, I basically had three or four different uh, dosages. And every time I got my blood work done, I'd have to like switch the dosage to the one that was sort of fitting where my blood work was. So everything was kind of all over the place. Um, I had a lot of food allergies and food sensitivities. So I would constantly be in flare. And then I learned in 2019, just at the cusp of 2020, that I in fact had celiac. So I'd gone through my entire life and I look back and I'm like going through with my, my, my gastroenterologist and he's asking like, did I have these kind of symptoms? I'm like, yeah, like since I was 13, he's like, you've had celiac this whole time and I'd been tested for it and it came back inconclusive or as a no, or it was cleared, but I'd had celiac the whole time. So all of these GI issues, skin rashes, um, different, uh, different symptoms that I was experiencing, I had no idea that it was celiac. And then once at this cusp, we were, we were finally kind of getting into, so fulvic is really good for gut health too. So I'm going to start taking that. So I just started taking the pure fulvic acid. Um, the unflavored, so really just kind of tastes like dirty lemon water is the only way that I can fairly uh, attribute the taste, but it was great. Just throw it in some water. I would throw it in some juice and I would take like a juice shot and just take it in that, take it every morning. Um, I just felt better. I felt I was better tolerant if I had cross-contamination. Um, my flares went down a lot faster. I felt that I'd been leveled out. And then as my blood work progressed with my Hashimoto's, my doctor's like, interestingly, like everything's leveled out. Okay, I'm really, I'm really happy. I'm like, you know what I think it is. She said, I explained to her, I'm like, I'm taking fulvic acid. And she thought I meant folic acid. She goes, yeah, yeah, it's going to give you folate. I'm like, that's not what I said. <laughs> fulvic acid. I sent her some studies because uh, there were some um, in vivo studies with swine and swine because of the fat meat ratio to uh, fat and muscle ratio. They're very similar to, to humans. And so there's a lot of pre-human testing that's done on, on swine. Um, and there was a lot of uh, in vivo studies with swine showing uh, improved iodine uptake. And iodine is a really important part of thyroid health. So uh, that was a, that was sort of the big connector to me. I'm like, I should be taking this more often because if it's working on thyroid or uh, iodine uptake in pigs, um, it's going to work with anybody who has any kind of thyroid dysfunction. So that's when I started really diving in and taking it and my levels just leveled off. So my, my TSH started leveling off and I didn't have to take uh, these wild I just settled on one dosage for my medication and it's been consistent now for a good two years. So I found that for me, it was just the mineral uptake, being able to digest better. Um, if I did fall into a flare, if I did have cross-contamination, which inevitably happens because gluten is in the most wildest of places <laughs> in food. So I do find that I do get cross-contamination. I find that because it's, I'm taking it regularly. I'm taking fulvic regularly. I find that the flare dissipates a lot quickly, a lot more quickly. I recover faster. Um, and a big part for me with my um, Hashimoto's is dehydration. I find my skin is uh, less dry. My nails are stronger. My hair is grown stronger. I don't have as much breakage because I'm obviously taking in the minerals and nutrients that I need to produce stronger, healthier skin, hair, and nails. So those are some of my my bigger symptoms that have tended to kind of resolve entirely. 
Um, I still do take my medication. I still have stuff that I need to take, but uh, I find that I'm not taking as much or as high of a dosage of some of the supplements that my GI and my neurologist had recommended or suggested for me. I don't have to take as much. I get the same results. I still have to take some supplements, but I just don't have to take as many. It sounds so much like what I usually recommend to cannabis growers in crisis. I tell them, hit, hit it with fish brew, hit it with humic acid, and hit it with uh, kelp. Because now you got hormones, you got the humics that are going to help chelate and balance the, the arguments and fighting infighting amongst the chemistry. And of course, the biology is going to just smooth everything out. So yeah, I, I'm not surprised at how it benefits you in, in your disease issues because what you're saying is exactly what we see in in those circumstances and silly lily tag or tag that question ken that silly just put up at uh 558 all right we definitely want to talk a little bit more about that uh, in, in a in a little bit um so up oh, yeah he popped and went all right so good um so yeah so back to the other benefits that i we have not talked about mm. uh, of fulvic specifically is is its atomic weight mm -hmm. because it's so small and so light that it can penetrate inner and outer cell walls of bacteria on up which is which is why it works so well because it's not only chelating and attracting that that mineral but it's allowed to penetrate those, those membranes easily instead of something that, like a big molecule, they can't even get close to it. So can and you- they, And they that? can carry a significant amount of ions with it, mm -hmm. which is so great. So it really is a transporter. Um, yeah, it, it's, there's a, the, the analogy that I use, and I, I've talked to some people about like it being an acid. Acids aren't always corrosive. It's just this chemical formation class of, molecule that it is. There's a lot of acids that are non-corrosive that are attractors. Um, hyaluronic acid is an example for like, people know that more commonly in skincare is it can carry a thousand times its weight in water molecules and allow for better absorption. Well, fulvic acid kind of plays that same role is that it's a tiny molecule that's very focused on getting through tissues. So it can actually, when it's used, especially as a, a foliar spray, for example, fulvic or humic acid, I always focus on that as whatever's going to be in and around the root zone. So you use humic acid wherever it's going to be around the root, amend the soil, work with the soil biology. That's where humic acid is going to play its role. Fulvic acid is interesting because it can be used foliarly. So you can spray it onto the canopy and it serves a role there as well as it does when you're mixing it with nutrients and running it through your line fertigation or mixing it in with your humics into your media. Um, as a foliar, again, same thing is that it can hold, it attracts nutrients, it attracts those ions, holds on to them and absorbs them into the plant tissues. So it's not into, it doesn't absorb just into the tissue where it's sprayed or where it's uptaken into the roots. It assimilates through the entire plant. So the beauty of that is that it creates a new, uh, almost like a, a pathway through the plant. It joins in with all cells within that plant. So it allows for better movement of and migration of those nutrients. So translocation of nutrients, especially the immobile nutrients, which can be really tricky. You can mix fulvic into your reservoir, feed it to the plant as part of their nutrient. It can be taken up through the roots, 
but sometimes nu certain nutrients will get locked in along the way and you get lost when you need it in the canopy. So you can blend fulvic as part of your foliar and same thing with skin tissue is that it's gonna absorb through that tissue. It's gonna absorb into those the, through those cell walls. It's a, it's a, it's a really interesting, uh, it's, a, it's an interesting function of, of the product itself. Leah, do you want to do you want to share a little bit about? Um, I think I think you had some case studies using the F two foliar. Um, I believe it was with cucumbers. Yeah, uh, not yeah. The, the cucumbers wasn't the wasn't the foliar. That was just the humic and the fulvic. Okay. Uh, so the couple of the case studies we've had. Uh, so the just to start with the cucumbers, uh, we worked with the cucumber uh, large facility uh, out in BC. Um, and they focused on using the humonic and the fulonic. So our humonic product is our humic acid and a kelp extract uh, blended together. Uh, and then our fulonic is our pure fulvic acid with nothing else in it. It's just, it's, it, there are two tools in your toolkit. You can use them synergistically or you can use them independently, which is the beauty of why we've done it this way. Um, so what they did was we did an initial trial with them as uh, in the spring of 2022, uh, where we just used our humonic. Uh, they grow in cocoa bags um, and they have usually about a 13 week crop cycle, depending on the cultivar, it could be up to 17 weeks. Um, but we ran a trial with them from week six through to the end of, uh, I think it was a 13 weeks that they ran on that crop cycle. It was a little slower of the, of the, of the short cycles, of the short crops. Um, but they were in, we were anticipating, uh, we, we gave them sort of a ballpark of where we figured we might see in terms of increase in yield for them. They were not convinced. So we said, we'll just run the trial. <laughs> you guys can see. Uh, they've never used a humic or a fulvic um, in their system, in their in that facility before. Um, and on their initial first trial, we did two trials with them. The first one, they ended up with uh, a two-acre section is what we trialed on. And they saw an extra 6,000 kilos of cucumbers coming off of a two-acre section, which was beyond what they had anticipated. They were expecting maybe one or two percent would be great to see. Um, but we ended up showing them uh, about what worked out to be about eight and a half percent of what the control section produced. We produced another eight and a half percent. So to revalidate and run another trial, um, we decided to change it up a little bit and we used our humic and our fulvic. So they're getting that sort of joined relationship between the two products. So not only were they line injecting into that one section, we changed up sections so we'd have sort of a fresh patch. Uh, but the second trial, we ended up with uh, almost 15,000 kilos coming off of that same size section. So it just shows how the uptake can make a huge difference. One, if you're treating the root zone, and this is what we saw in the initial trial, was there was about a two to 300 gram per bag difference in weight that was attributed to root mass. Um, and even though that seems not so big when you're in just a cocoa brick, it's, it's sizable for that small space, but it just means that there's more surface area for the roots to naturally and not take in more nutrients that are being pumped through. Um, 
when we integrated the fulvic acid, typically we would want to integrate the fulvic acid into the nutrient reservoirs as well. But because we're trialing on one section within a larger facility, we were relegated to just line injecting. So at least the bag would have access to the fulvic acid. Any retained nutrients that was already held in with the humic would get chelated with the fulvic acid. And so we saw those benefits there. Um, but that turned into about an 11.5% increase in yield on that particular crop. So we did, we did see a significant portion increase from them. So we're now through this network. We're also going to be running some tomato trials as well. We've got a greenhouse in Mexico that's going to start running trials over there. They'd go through a, a heat lull. They shut down over the summertime because it's too hot. So we're going to be doing a bit of trial through their facility in the summertime uh, and then starting again in, in their production, production timeline in the fall. Um, but we're also opening up into peppers. So the, the three the three main crops in greenhouse that we're looking at are the tomatoes, cucumbers, and peppers. Um, so that was a really it was really eye opening, I think, for them to also see that they could average a good like ten percent increase in yield. And for a commercial facility where, again, they're reining in their costs, they're dealing with you know their energy costs are ext extremely high because natural gas costs are very high. That whatever they can do to produce more with more efficiency is is what they're looking to do. So this is a really great way we've been able to validate with them in their own facility. That, that they have these boosts in yield that can contribute to their overall revenue and reduce costs. Um, and then our um, other trials that we've done as well has been in cannabis. Um, and I think it's probably my favorite one to showcase. Um, it's a facility that's um, uh, in Ontario. And we did a trial of about 4,500 plants. We did four different strains, uh, all hydroponic, grown in cocoa, um, and each strain had three troughs assigned. So one was our trial group and we had two flanking checks uh, to complement. And they all were cloned at the same time. They were all, all provisioned at the same time. They're all at the same stage. Um, and throughout their trial, varying on strain, they were noticing um, obviously the, the physiology of the plants of the treated group just looked a little greener, looked a little bit more vigorous. Uh, they were super happy with how things were progressing. And then at one point, one of the, one of the sections, um, their fertigation system broke and they weren't able to line feed anything. So all they could do was water. So for a period of about a week, I think it was about six or seven days that they were unable to actually feed nutrients. Our trial group, which had been the cocoa media had been pre-treated with our humonic product and they had been feeding with uh, or using our fulonic as part of their nutrient program. Uh, even though they couldn't fertigate, all they could do is water. After that week, they saw a very a vast difference, double the density, really. If you look at the photos, it's double the density um, of our treated group compared to the flanking troughs. Uh, they just looked like they were cropped at different times. They looked like they were, you know, a couple, good couple of weeks apart. And the reason that there is a continued uh, vigor and growth and um, progression within the quad treated plants was because they had more nutrients available at the root zone because it had been treated with humonic and the humic acid and had fulvic was part of that program. 
there was more nutrients accessible by those plants, even though they were only being watered and there was no other nutrient in there. So in times of stress or where there are situations or environmental pressures that can happen in a controlled environment, which inevitably do happen, temperature suddenly swings high or the temperature is suddenly cold and things start to slow down, your plants are better able to adapt to those situations and you have that kind of buffer period to fix things. So even though, and they even found at the end that the, the plants in that particular strain that were treated performed well beyond a, what their baseline for that, for that cultivar was, but even the, uh, the controls in that group still were performing Per, and ultimately performed lower than their baseline. So we not only saved the, the, the plants from being decremented in terms of their performance, they still outperformed. So even in times of stress, we do see, uh, they, we do see a continued progression of those plants. And I, think, I think that's, you know, it, it's, it's great. Um, it's, it's great insurance. You, you talked about environmental stresses. And of course, we, especially for outdoor growers, you, you're going to run into those challenges with, uh, with climate chaos. Um, but, but I think the economic stresses too. Yeah. So I think, I think the cannabis industry is a perfect example where we don't have the same amount of money to, to be making sure that we have every nutrient um, or have excessive nutrients. So we, we probably want to dial back uh, part of it a good good plan for environmental sustainability to pull back some of our nutrients and and if you have a biostimulant that's working so well that you can actually reduce your your input costs of of your fertilizers because you're getting increased uptake or in in the case of soil increased retention as well um yeah it's it's going to be a, a good return on investment i was i was hinting at that one trial that you talked about in which in which they they stopped doing the trial because they wanted to use the product on, on everything in the, in their greenhouse. Let's have it a few times. It's really skewed our data resource. Yeah, yeah. no, it's, yeah. it's happened a couple of, it's actually happened quite a few times where um, people have been really excited when they started to see uh, how things have been developing, how things are progressing with our trial group that they just go, oh, we're just going to add it to the whole room. And I'm like, not in my data because <laughs> it really it's really important to show people that comparison especially if they're already using a humic and fulvic and to have a comparison of why well, i use this product how's yours going to be different and then they just switch it part way through i'm like no <laughs> i want people to be able to see that they're that they're they can humic and fulvic is, is Wonderful. I want everybody to use a humic and fulvic, whether it's ours or whether it's another brand. I, I, I just I really believe wholeheartedly in the benefit of these products um, it, when, it, when you're producing for flavor, for quality, for quantity. Um, they really are. It's an easy addition to any system. Um, but, yeah, there's been a there's been a couple of those. There's a, a fellow that was out east that um, we sent product out, just said, just give it a try. He grows really, really big trees. Um uh, cannabis, very big trees. Uh, and he started feeding just a couple of his trees and, and they started to grow his average to about like six foot in width. Um, and then the ones that he treated grew to about like nine feet in width. And he's just like, oh, forget this. I'm just going to feed it to everybody. I'm like, awesome. But <laughs> I would have loved to have seen at the end what the differences would have looked like, because that like those were 
when people, especially um, dedicated growers that have been doing this for a long time, they're passionate about their plants, they know their strains very well, whatever the cultivar is, it's the same thing with the guys in the apples and the cherries and the vineyards is always a really fun uh, area to get into as well. Um, when they understand their plants very, very well and they get excited about seeing progression and seeing that performance improvement, that, I mean, that's makes me super happy. Um, it's, it's something that we do experience. I mean, with our foliar product, so we have our one humic based product and then we have three fulvic products. Our folonic is just our, just our fulvic acid, which is highly adaptive. Um, you can use it as a foliar product. You can blend it into an IPM program. Um, if you're using it for pest, uh, if you're doing any kind of, uh, pest sprays or PM sprays, you can use, blend it into a lot of different things. Um, our F1 is our only product that's not organic uh, because it does use an ammonium sulfate. It really helps to boost growth early in a veg phase. Again, you have the chelating power of the fulvic acid with whatever else is in your nutrient program, but that boost of nitrogen and uh, sulfur really helps to improve growth and tissue build in an early veg phase. It also, in an outdoor environment, helps to stabilize nitrogen in the ground as well, which is where you need it. Um, so it reduces leaching and gas off. Um, our other products, so the third of our, our organic products is our F2 foliar. So that's a fulvic acid base, but we blend boron, manganese, zinc, and sulfur. So all four of those components really improve um, uh, photosynthesis. It helps to support the chlorophyll production and different processes there. You see a greening up of the canopy. You see a vigor and an, an, an attentiveness within the plants very shortly. So we've had uh, a fellow that use, he does all regenerative agriculture. He was using a, another fulvic product as a foliar and used our foliar product. They sprayed in the morning, sort of two sides of uh, a hybrid greenhouse, outdoor greenhouse. They got, the whole team went around the property, came back and looked at the room about six or seven hours later, and they just saw a, a difference in how the treated side, the quad treated side was just perkier, leaves were standing at attention. They were just, it was elevated. There was just a vigor and, a, and an, an enthusiasm in the plants that wasn't representative with the other application. So their whole team was like, what is this? And so they bought a barrel. They're like, we're going to use this all the time. This is great. So it's, it's again, it's, it's really encouraging. And I feel really good when I see other people see the success within their own programs and within their own facilities. Um, I think the, my, my happiest moment was actually with a vineyard. Um, if any of, well, back in 2021, BC was hit really hard with forest fires. We were under a heat dome where temperatures peaked at about, in some regions, 56 degrees. I think the most famous uh, catastrophe was Linton burned down, a whole city burned down. Um, we went into a couple of vineyards in the South Okanagan of Soyuz area, which is down south, and it gets very, very hot down there. They were hit by a lot of the fires as well. So there was a lot of smoke cover. Um, there was a lot of, um, you know, a lack of photosynthesis because it was just so smoky. Plus, the heat was causing a huge amount of stress. And um, uh, so there's a lot of solar burn, a lot of the plant, a lot of the vines just weren't tolerating the heat very well. 
least of all the fact that it was really dry. They were using the sprinklers really just to try to as fire protect, protect, uh, protection, not so much feeding. They're really trying to protect the properties. Um, but again, when growers know their yards, they know their spaces, they know their plants really, really well uh, to go in and do a site visit and visit with these guys and be like, how are you finding things? And the feedback being, it's, I mean, we know it's subjective, but they're like, yeah, no, the treated is just tolerating all of this way better. I'm like, in what way? Like, I can't see through your lens. So tell me what you see in your vines. And the response was, well, there's just a lot less solar burn and you can see that. And you can see there's a lot less red tone to the treated sections. Um, there was just a bit more greening. You can see that there was visibly more green. It was less solar burn. They were producing a little bit more. They weren't stunting the same way under the heat stress. So they were able to, again, self-regulate under that stress. But the most interesting part, which at the end, and you won't know this again, this is sort of that insurance policy. You won't know until you go through that. Once they go through the fermentation process, um, with, with, with grapevines or with grapes off the vine for wine, especially yam and bricks are two really important factors of the composition of that fruit. So the bricks is the sugar and the yam is the yeast attributable nitrogen. So this is what the yeast is uh, going to consume through fermentation. So you need the sugar, you need the nitrogen. Um, Having those two components in higher quantity and higher quotients within that fruit is what they saw in our product, in our the sections that were treated with our product versus the control. So through fermentation, the initial fermentation didn't need any support with our product. So we were able to allow those grapes to perform better, pull up the right kind of nutrients so that they could perform better. And through the, um, uh, the, the maturation process and while they had... Uh, through the fermentation process, they had pulled out their samples at the several months later as they were checking the wine um, to transfer them into barrels. And they found that the flavor profile was completely different from our treated group to the control group. So because the control group needed some support and additives during their initial fermentation, which is immediately going to change the flavor profile, um, having a higher yan is very much correlated to that mid palate flavor within wine that only comes from that yen. So it's, it's a really important part of, and it's something that they measure and they closely monitor. So in the end, they ended up with a product that closely resembled the grape varietal of those vines versus the con control group came out tasting like a different varietal altogether. So from an insurance policy or sort of a, an insurance measure from commercial producers, if you're growing a product to produce something like a wine, that flavor profile is very important to the grade of the wine and how much they can garner at market for that product. So having the same block, same varietals, but one coming, one half of it coming out as a completely different flavor puts it at a different grade. Whereas, you know, when you when you have the right components as part of the nutrient program, it's a safety measure to ensure that you're protecting the integrity of that product in the end. So for produce growers, for cannabis growers, if your plants are better able to self-regulate and pull in the right nutrients and the right minerals, you're producing a more accurate presentation of what that 
what that plant is meant to produce. You know, I, I was dying to ask you about the effects of stressing and how this works on stressing. I know the answer, but, and, and, and I've jumped in before I could say anything, but you hit it. You, you, you just went down stressing and how valuable this product is in dealing with things that you have no control over. And you're inevitably going to run into problems. And you can't predict it. Yeah, you can't stop it. It's it's nature. And it, or in human condition, we call it a Mrs. Murphy. Because Mr. Mr. Murphy's bad, but Mrs., ooh, don't mess with her. She's taking right out. <laughs> so are there other cases uh, or examples that you can talk about on how well um, this product works in stressed environments? Sure. Um, well, I think heat stress is probably the most, um, I think the most obvious for a lot of people is like, how do you manage and how do you mitigate heat stress, especially in controlled environments? So, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent for controlled environment because it's a sustain, like for the sustainability of it, outdoor isn't always functional for all crops. So there's, there's, I'm split between the two. Um, from an indoor environment, obviously the heat stress is a big part. Um, if a plant is better able to self-regulate, it can tolerate sudden swings in temperature and humidity and, and, and things like that. But also in controlled environment, you have, uh, because you are controlling the environment, that if things do go awry, uh, now you have pathogenic issues that can reap up and you have like fusarium and uh, Pythium and botrytis that are omnipresent in commercial environments, and that if your plants have a better immunity and can regulate itself better, they're more adept at being able to fend off pathogens. So that's one factor. There's other things that you can step in to support, and like inoculations and different things. But by incorporating humic and velvic, you're sort of creating a baseline that the plant is going to be a, be able to better regulate itself. In, in those times of stress, uh, and hopefully they're not long-term, but there are pockets of stress that the plants can then adjust back from. In outdoor environments, you're now dealing with all of the elements. So wind, rain, hail, and especially wind can be really problematic for row crops and things like that, where they need a stronger root development to get into the ground, not only for accessing nutrients, but holding the plant up in times of stress and wind. So we found that there's instances where you can see um, treated and untreated where a wind, like in row crops for corn, for example, where wind has barreled through in a region and the untreated uh, corn, for example, has just toppled over because they don't have a strong enough root mass and they don't have enough integration in deeper into the soil. Whereas in the treated sections, it, they, they may look battered and bruised, but they're still standing. So the resiliency to the environment um, in outdoor crops uh, is definitely there. Uh, their crop formation as well, um, the temperature fluctuations, um, all of those things are, are kind of, there's, there's some similarities in the outdoor and indoor, but the wind is the bigger part challenge in the outdoor. And if you're dealing with row crops, uh, for example, wind is a big issue because it can take down a field in no time, depending on where regionally you are. Um, I'm also finding in uh, orchards that we are seeing sort of year after year, you do see an improve, improvement in the production, especially post stress. You can 
stimulate the plant that in, in big times of stress, like under the heat dome, some plants or orchards, like the trees are either gonna root down to find more moisture or they're going to bud. So you're gonna have one, they're gonna go in either direction. They're either gonna go to the roots or they're gonna go to propagating for the next season. Um, but whatever you do this year is what you're gonna see next year. So when we can see that compound benefit, we see that overall growth. Usually in the outdoor environment, what we really try to look for is um, improvement within the soil. So we're looking at what is their current CEC, what is the soil composition, what's their organic matter ratio at right now, and how can we look to improve that so that it's overall year over year going to improve how that plant or that tree that is going to pull up its nutrients and, and produce for the following year. So yeah, in times of stress, there's, there's a lot of things that you cannot control. So our goal is to try to alleviate some of those stress and give a bigger window for um, recovery, but also for uh, the, in, in situations of a controlled environment that the team can get in and make the adjustments that are necessary to bring things back to where they need to be. I love that you went to the secondary things, right? The, the primary stress, opens the door for all kinds of other things to come in now and cause, you know, secondary tertiary problems that, you know, again, if the plant had been just strong enough to survive that one event, you are not dealing with the, the, the continued consequences of that event. So yeah. I'm so glad I was hoping you were going to go there because a lot of people, you know, I, I'm just, I want to thank you because you, your depth of knowledge is incredible and clearly you, you're passionate about it and it shows and, and the way you're speaking, as well as the ability for you to share the knowledge back. Because, you know, nobody gets the fact that, that again, that, that you have a stressed event, you can recover. You're not going to just start chasing it and fighting it the whole way down the, to the, you know, the negative end that you're going to end up in. So, you know, I'm, thank you again. <laughs> I just want to bring up one other stress, too, which, which I think ties in so well to, you know, what, what Fish Brew offers. Um, but uh, but also maybe, Leah, if you could speak uh, around the bioremediation or treatment of even things like heavy metals that uh, both hum humonic and fulonic can, can provide uh, both cannabis growers and those who are dealing with uh, the environmental stresses of contamination. Yeah, contamination, it's a... I'm actually working on a project right now that is dealing with high salinity soils. Um, and so trying to remediate soils, I mean, this is a, basically they're, they're irrigating out of a, of a brackish aquifer. So it's, you know, it's going to be a perpetual issue. Um, but any kind of heavy metals or toxins, humic acids are chelators as well, but they, they're going to bind to the, the, the more challenging of, um, of molecules in, in, in the soil environments. Uh, they kind of serve in that, like the heavier, Remediation really does come from the humics. Fulvic is going to take those sort of more active nutrients and make them more bioavailable. Um, but yeah, I, there's there's a lot in a lot of our opportunity to work in wastewater treatment. Um, if you're dealing with algae bloom, again, as you'd mentioned, like just darkening the water that can make a, make a huge impact on remediating algae out of, uh, irrigation ditches, for example, if you're, if you're in a field, 
um, what's what water, what you, you get out, what you put in. So if you're putting in uh, contaminated water, it's not going to be, you're just going to have contaminated soil, which is going to harm the plants or at least reduce the productivity of that, of the yield of that crop. Um, so in, in terms of like heavy metals, I mean, it's still an area that I'm diving in a little bit more. So I'm certainly no, no expert in, in, uh, in toxics and uh, in remediation, but I've got some learned people amongst us that we, uh, we could certainly dive into that some more. Uh, but yes. there's definitely yes. an application for yes. it. It, it, yeah. it doesn't eliminate the matter portion of those tox those toxins. It will bind to heavy metals and make them less available, which is beneficial on the agriculture side of things. But when you're dealing with wastewater treatment, you still need to have a physical removal process. So that's that's still something that doesn't it isn't eliminated, but you can still contribute to making that process a little bit easier and you're taking the right parts out and you're getting more of that that buildup and leaving you know the, the water behind but you're getting more of that buildup out of those tainted waters or affected waters i think those in the uh, regulated mark cannabis market that have to uh, uh, address cadmium mercury arsenic and lead yeah. uh, one of the real benefits of having something like cumonic getting into that soil especially in a living soil bed is that it will give off extra electrons, right? So because because it's so heavily charged, um, th those metals will take on even more electrons, and and then they become um, even less available for the plant to take up. So it's one of those things. Yeah, it's not going to get rid of it out of your bed, yeah. But it's going to make it even harder for that plant uptake of those metals. Yeah, so. I mean, if they don't have a, I mean. These RO systems and not not all facilities can afford these are very expensive systems. So some of the, even the the craft cultivators that are just relying on their their city water, they're not able to. I mean, it's it's a huge cost to to put in an actual mechanical system to uh, remove these heavy metals out of out of the water that's available to them. So what is something that they can use? They can use a humic. They can use something like this that will just bind off those those heavy metals and those ions to make them less readily available. And if they're stuck in a situation where they can't afford an, a, a mechanical system to help reduce some of that, or have some form of form of filtration system that helps to reduce that, um, this is something that they can absolutely and cost effectively. I think the most important thing is it is cost effective. Humic and fulvic shouldn't be an arm and a leg. I think with our full program, we've got it dialed into at the full full bore of our program integrated into your system uh, for a full crop, it might be 50 cents a plant. So it's really not that expensive. If you can increase the yield, the flavor, the quality, if it can improve the terpene profile, your cannabinoid profile, if your plant is alleviating the environmental stressors that it's dealing with, and sometimes there are stressors that you can't see that is causing it to not uptake as well, that if you can eliminate that or reduce that greatly, you're going to see 
this in the chemical analysis. You're gonna see it perform in the plant. Not only is the plant gonna look better and have bigger colas and, or produce a bigger fruit, whatever you're growing for, the flavor profile is going to be a bit more pronounced and you're, you're gonna get a better quality. I'm also looking at ways that I, I'm trying to find a way that we can, I'm working with the lab to try to dial down uh, a test that we can actually take the fruit itself that's been grown with our folic acid and take it to the lab and detect the fulvic acid in the fruit because we know it's in there. So how do we actually test it and validate that it's being retained within the fruit? Because that's normally in antiquity when our fruit or food is produce is grown in soil. That's how we would get it. That's how we would access the fulvic acid. So you know, another question for you. Um, have you ever looked into uh, how humic acid affects secondary disinfectant byproducts. So this is, this is a, a huge concern for water resources. So we as a species chlorinate or chloramine our water. Yeah. When that chloramine comes in contact with organic matter, not yeah. humic acid, but organic matter, yeah. it attacks that there's a, there's a reaction that that's occurring. And these, you know, these secondary, uh, you know, disinfectant byproducts are, are very toxic to humans and plants. And so some of the work I did right at the beginning of COVID was playing around with how, you know, because I extract humic acid from plants. So how did that affect it? And it was a really interesting route, deep rabbit hole that may actually end up leading you to another place that you hadn't thought about, which is, is water purification and, and how to deal with you know, this, the water that they're discharging out into our coastal waterways, rivers, and streams by adding a certain percentage of your product, they would be reducing those, those byproducts. Well, first thing is I'm, I'm a huge fan of hypochlorous acid. <laughs> why, why aren't we using it? But that's I, a, that's it really, whole... it really shocks me that it isn't more, talked about and that the emphasis on like chlorine bleaches being and 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 is why wouldn't you use a disinfectant that is going to as a residual leave water and chloride which is nutrient why wouldn't you leave it with something that's beneficial <laughs> like you get two products out of it easy switch you get a cleaner and a friggin disinfectant Totally. And then they go back to water. <laughs> and it can be used in so many different ways, which blows my mind. You can fog it as a disinfectant in a facility. If you need like a big, deep, clean sanitation, you've had a major fungal bloom, you need to disinfect every surface. You can use it that way. You can use it as a line disinfection. You can actually at a low PPM, even fog it on plants to get rid of PM. Like, it just it does so many good things. Like I just I don't know why people aren't using more and more of it. I know that there's the perception that there's it's more expensive, but when you have one product that can be used in multiple different ways, it kind of pays for itself in, in that in that regard. And it's very cheap okay. to make. It's you can make it yourself. Absolutely. You oh, can make it on site yourself and it's not that tricky. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of hypochlorous for that reason is that it, it, from an environmental standpoint, there is no effluent, there's nothing damaging to the environment. But again, if you're, well, what we do find, and this is, I think where our, our approach is 
not necessarily on the wastewater treatment, but taking a step before that, and that the wastewater has less nutrient in the outflow, in the wastewater. So we're able to dial back the nutrients being used because we're making them more bioavailable and more is being retained in and around the root zone, then the, any drainage water is just going to have less nutrient in it. So you're going to have less waste and it's going to be less detrimental to the environment. So kind of taking it upstream one step. And that way we can, again, improve efficiencies, improve like functional efficiencies, but also the cost efficiencies and reduce the negative impact on the environment, especially in estuaries or environmentally sensitive areas, or like in Canada, where we're very respectful of the fact that we are on indigenous land and we don't want to harm further uh, the land that we have the privilege of living on. So I think that there's a, a very humanitarian approach in doing that. And, and at the same time, we're helping to increase the yield and the quality and the formation of the products that are being grown, regardless of what they are. So well said, so well said. And yeah, you know, it, the piece that you missed too was that you're building aggregates, which are purifying water and holding more nutrients even away from the plant root zone yeah so you know the impact of what you're doing upstream is huge but that still doesn't help people you know downstream who are are using you know mass septic systems or sewer yeah. sewers not septic because septic is yeah. different yeah, yeah. your own where sewer goes to a main concentration point yeah so you know again if, if I was a billionaire, I'd get every single sewage treatment plant to be using your product as a way of preventing those secondary disinfectant byproducts because that, that would be a huge way to further scrub the water before they discharge it into these very sensitive ecosystems that are, you know, on the verge of collapse already. But, and they're and our food like, source. Right? Right? <laughs> like Hello? The insanity of friggin' humanity. Anyway, listen, we're, we're you know done. Saying, don't shiz where you eat. <laughs> well, that's kind of what we're doing. So. Hey, if, if we listened to the indigenous, we'd still be drinking our groundwater. We'd still be able to go to a lake and pull out a glass of water without it. But anyway, so we've, we're down to 20 minutes. We've got five questions. So I think we should probably dive into that. Sure. If you have time at the end, we can, we can chop up some more things. So uh, take it away, Ken. Um, I just want to say thank you for all the work you're doing um, and bringing this out to people. And for the guys, there is a 15% discount um, on these products if you use Ken Somerville at the, the checkout uh, when you buy them. So you guys can, can get them at a, even a cheaper price. But we'll get into questions. Um, stupid questions. And no, there is never a stupid question. Uh, <laughs> you would be using uh, fulvic... Um, aim to pH down, correct? Yes. Yes, because uh, fulvic acid or fulvic acid, the folonic product sits at about a 3.2. You're going to have a very low acidity. So if, you're, uh, if your reservoir is starting to get a little hot and your pH is raising, you can use the fulvic acid. Generally, we'd say start at about a 2 mil per liter if you're looking to pH down and go from there. So add it to your reservoir and then regulate it and then check it. And then you can do another two mil per liter or one mil per liter sort of graduated. Um, but typically we've, um, 
We found that it works really, really effective and it's stable, which is, I think, the, the biggest benefit is that you get a pH down and it's stable versus when we were talking about that yo-yo of going back and forth and having to constantly cross-correct, um, you don't have to, to deal with that. And that's a beautiful uh, thing that everybody needs to consider because, you know, it happens to everybody in that type of a system. And whether you're growing cannabis or not, it's, it's all plants. Yeah. Yeah. Yo-yoing is no fun. No, yeah, yeah. it was a stress for you and the plants. It's <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah. Just a little stressing out here. <laughs> so was this the one Leighton that uh, you were mentioning humic acid might cause the immune system to become more active and this could increase the symptoms of autoimmune disease from uh, WebMD? Yeah, that's misnomer. That's misinformation. Um, the, okay. the thing that we're missing is humic and fulvic acids in our diet. If we had a healthy food, there would be so much less autoimmune diseases. I mean, look, look where they came out. Look at what time they really exploded in humanity. And it was, it was after the, the fertilizer revolution or the green revolution, whatever mm -hmm. you want to call it. But no, that's definitely absolutely wrong. I mean, I, I used to tell people, drink compost tea. Just make sure that you know that that compost is not anaerobic and is healthy. And you're going to get those fulvic and humic acids. And people that did it had amazing uh, turnarounds in their health, similar to what Leah had. Same thing. I, I didn't have access to her product 15 years ago, but I noticed in my own health because I was constantly covered in, in you know, compost or compost extracts that all of a sudden my health started getting better and better. So yeah. I'm, I'm a firm believer that, you know, we need those in our diet. We're just not getting them anymore. And so yeah. please uh, strike that down as, a, as misinformation that this would not in any way affect. The only thing that would affect our autoimmune diseases is pseudomonas. Certain pseudomonobacteria can wreak havoc on, on, you know, your immune system or, or make things that are the underlying flare up. So again, you know, those are gram negative. They're, 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 you know, anaerobic biology. So you don't, again, don't drink, you know, horse manure or cow manure, right? Usually use, use some common sense, but a really good aerobic compost, you mix it up in a little bit of water and I've drunk it on the show before. It's, it's very beneficial. So, sorry, I didn't mean to go on a rant. Oh, no problem. No, and I think also, like, if you think about what um, uh, we've talked about this before, but the, that humic acid helps to reduce gram-negative bacteria, and it helps to protect the, the mucus lining in the digestive system. Yeah. So that is, it's not going to contribute to something. It, well, it, we found, I, I've only had one experience where somebody had, like, a, a metal implant, and he found that he, he experienced some achiness in that joint. And I said, it could also be that that tissue is getting more oxygen now because you have more nutrients coming into your system. You've got fulvic acid in your system now. And that pain and discomfort could be toxins or buildup that are now moving through. Like that can cause some discomfort. And any kind of stress or discomfort can trigger autoimmune flares. I can tell you it does. <laughs> but... <laughs> But it, in the in the long term of your overall health, um, 
humic humic acid is only going to really benefit in your in your digestive system. Fulvic acid is going to get more integrated into your cells. So it I I can't. I would have to see the study specifically. And I like to dig into studies. I have a whole bank, a whole library of studies on both agriculture, plant, livestock, and human that I dive into. <laughs> so I, uh, and like I said, I come from, a, my, I have, my father's a surgeon. So I come back from being highly analytical and getting right into the, into the details of things. Mm -hmm. um, and if anything, that's why I've kind of fallen down this path is that it merges my scientific prowess and interest into my my inner hippie so but yeah i'd love to actually look into the actual study because the thing with webmd is that they summarize things but you have to look into the actual studies that have been cited and look at what are they actually saying and what did they what are their conclusions because sometimes there's they're not there's they're sort of drawn from a conclusion it's not quite that clear <laughs> Sometimes they set up the experiment to get the response that they want. Traffic to WebMD. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this kind of leads into the next uh, statement from Lily. Folic acid has potential anti-inflammatory, antifungal, and antibacterial benefits for the skin. Conditions such as eczema and a cirrhosis. Psoriasis. Uh, Yep. psoriasis sorry some people consume folic acid to treat digestive issues i 100 percent consume folic acid to treat digestive issues and i can say unequivocally because i used to get a celiac rash okay um and it it would go everywhere i thought i had shingles for a long period of time but i'm like it doesn't line up with the lymph lines it couldn't figure it out dermatologists couldn't figure it out Interestingly, my GI was like, it's a celiac rash. I'm like, that makes sense. And oftentimes they're triggered by stress. Um, I haven't had a celiac rash in two years and I would get them at least every month. Mm -hmm. um, even if it was just on my fingers, if it was like on my forearm, like I would get them all the time. Uh, I haven't had one in probably a good two years since I started taking fulvic consistently. From the antibacterial, antifungal, there's definitely some studies that are correlating those benefits. There's a lot more that needs to be studied in, in human studies. There's, there's a lot more in this area, but I think it is really opening up um, in the way that there's been such enthusiasm behind CBD and being so beneficial and not just cannabis derived or hemp derived CBD, you can get CBD from a lot of different vegetal sources. Mm -hmm. um, there's a, a very big opportunity to dive in a little bit more on the human health component and human health benefit of this. Uh, from reducing, uh, you know, antifungal for psoriasis or antimicrobial antifungal for psoriasis and eczema. Yeah, we've got friends that have um, uh, had really pronounced psoriasis or eczema on their hands. They'd go on vacation, they stop taking it, the psoriasis comes back or their skin lesions come back. They get back on it and it resolves. So it, it, def it definitely does. You think about that's inflammation. There is a, a bacterial component to that or a fungal component to that because your skin is a biome. Big <laughs> one. Like fish have the outer biome, so do we. <laughs> and it's often neglected uh, or over overlooked at the very least. Um, it's not just pretty and it's not just melanin. There's a whole lot of biology going on in our skin. So yeah, there's absolutely a benefit there. Um, and I'm, I'm working on a topical product um, for some of my friends that have um, pretty severe psoriasis. Um, 
Oh, I got one to share on that. Yes, okay. years ago when I was make first making my product, I had a friend that had psoriasis. So I make this uh, dried uh, biological, and you just mix water to activate it. You can wait 24 hours. So they made mud with it and put it on their psoriasis, and it, and it healed them. So I was going to say, make a topical. Make a topical. <laughs> oh, no. Believe me, a couple of the companies that I worked at, I worked in the past has been in, in the cosmetics industry. So I've looked at that. I'm like, I really want to do a skincare line. That's not just about beauty, but it's a well, wellness skincare. But I mean, there's this, but honestly, yeah, like colloidal clays, remineralizing mm -hmm. the skin, improving the biome. Like that's really sort of the main focus that I'd like to, to address. But you know, there's a lot of very specific and niche skin issues like psoriasis and eczema not only is it really uncomfortable for the person but it's embarrassing especially wherever it is they they tend to want to cover it up and sometimes air is what you need so it's it's definitely something that i'm, I'm looking down that path and and it's certainly you can um you can use the pure fulvic the felonic is that's what it is you can literally just rub it right in it, it works really well Oh, fantastic. I, and, and I want to just bring up uh, uh, one thing that Jeff put out is I'm rolling in my compost after the show. Okay. <laughs> I mean, right, I'm going to have to dragonfly earth medicine. I keep telling hey, you. I'm coming don't down forget to do the ass naked, brother. <laughs> just make sure it's a quality compost. Okay. Yeah. So um, Ganja was mentioning taproot root vitality. So like with germination, mm -hmm. yep, we've, we've got a lot of, well, we, I think most of the commercial cultivators that we work with are propagators, um, but there's definitely a lot of um, genet genetics guys that are growing for seed and using seed and growing from seed. Um, so we're definitely seeing that when you use humic and fulvic as part of the germination process, um, you're definitely seeing a much stronger taproot. We've seen uh, some growers that have actually shown us like day three, their little sprouts, and they've already got like a wide web of, of roots already. So it's really, really exciting to see that. So really depending on, it doesn't matter how you're growing. If you're growing it, it can help. So right from, especially right from clone, I think it's interesting on the, in the clone phase, it's such a stressful process for those baby plants that mm -hmm. to, to be able to give them that little boost of energy from the foliar spray to uh, help treat the rooting material with the humonic because it has the humic acid. It also has the kelp extract. So you get the brassinosteroids, you get that root boost, you get the enzymes and B vitamins. Really, it's a cocktail to improve the root ecosystem. But it's also a prebiotic that if you are using beneficials, it's a food source for that population that you've spent money on to maintain those populations that when the plants start to produce the exudate, that's the preferred food source. And so it's going to go for that. Mm -hmm. So it really, it's that stop gap between the plant producing the buffet that those microbes really want to eat. It's a little bit of a snack bar. 
So it's the plant everything that it needs to get a really good rooting and to get good movement in those plants. And those first four to six weeks is critical for the end production. So what you do at the first four to six weeks and how, how you support that plant in the first four to six weeks really will be reflected in towards the end and in your harvest. And Ken, let's not let's not forget that the folic is actually stimulating the endophytic biology too, mm -hmm. which is really important in seeds. Yes, definitely, definitely. And I love I love the reference to the clones because I use an air cloner, and this product would make I think my roots appear a lot faster in yeah. that air cloner uh, if I was using it. But now you guys are based out of Vancouver, is that correct? Yep. Yeah, we're based out of Vancouver. We already distribute across the U.S. We're self-distributed right now. Um, we really work on an intimate level. If they're commercial cultivators, we really go in and try to show them how we can easily adapt into their system. But I, I'm usually the one answering the calls off the website and answering the chats. Um, and I, I will gladly take a call with people and help them, even if it's if it's their home garden. I'm, I'm non-discriminating. I just want people to enjoy their growing. Uh. Thank you for that because it's, it means a lot to the whole community and we're more about caring, sharing and community. And Absolutely. that's a wonderful thing, right? Absolutely. So the last one, uh, how much humic and fulvic sh would you put in a glass of water? So in a glass of water, is this for human consumption? <laughs> I would say yes. Okay. Say yes. So our, well, we have a product and I should have had one here. I just realized that it, it drove off with my husband. Um, <laughs> our, but our Ionicade is our product. Uh, it's our fulvic acid. It's an electrolyte supplement. It's a concentrate. And we recommend using a five mil uh application in a glass of water. So it's a five, five milliliters of our product. It would give you about three and a half milligrams of fulvic acid along with other electrolytes and vitamin D3. So now that's not on the website. That's not on that website, but I can oh. add into your link. We can get you a, a, a code for the Ionicade site as well. And I can get you that as well. So that oh, if that our viewers would like to try that, then I will absolutely give that uh, a same discount code. I, I know that I would like to try that. And I'm sure Leighton and Av, well, Av's already taking it because he was mentioning how tasty it was. So, <laughs> Yes. And, you know, we didn't get into dilution rates. Yeah. And that was something oh, I go, mentioned. Thank you. <laughs> that's, that's it, huh? Nice. All right. So, guys, we'll have the code here uh, uh, soon for a discount for that as well and the right website to go to get that one. Absolutely. There you well, go. You were talking, sorry, Leighton, you were talking dilution. For yeah, coffee. yeah, yeah. I, I, I wrote it down and we just, I wrote iodine and dilution and we never got to back to either one of those. So, let's start okay. with so with dilution, um, I've I've created a bit of an input program. I mean, over the years, I've dialed into um, helping people just on the liquid, the mills per liquid volume basis. Uh, generally, I'd say anywhere from like one to two milliliters per liter is a good starting point because some people are very anxious about when you use a humic acid, 
It's black. It makes the water very dark. Even one milliliter per liter, it's very, very dark. You can't really see through a glass jar on the other side if it's one milliliter per liter. It gets very dark very quickly. And so for people who are used to having a sterile system and having everything really clean, it can be really intimidating. So starting at about one to two mil per liter is usually sufficient. I find that when you're dealing with, if you've got 15 to 20 plants, let's say you're a home grower or you've got a garden and you've got 20 plants in your bed. Um, if you're feeding your plants one milliliter of humonic and philonic per plant per week, it makes it really easy math if you're doing hand watering. If you've got 20 plants, it's 20 milliliters of each, plant, of each product mix it into whatever your nutrient solution and you can feed it that way. It especially is helpful when you're growing at scale. And if you're an ACMPR and you've got a room of 200 plants, or if you are a much larger facility, or if you're doing cucumbers and you've got 22,000 stems in a two acre section, doing a mils per liter can suddenly shift your input rate to be extraordinarily high versus if you're working on a per plant basis and you have more controlled input and the feed is gonna be more directed, if you have a more directed feed and there's less runoff, less waste, I find this is a really easy way to math the input, is that you do one mil per plant on a weekly basis of both the humonic and the philonic. With the foliar, if you're doing a weekly foliar feed, or if you need to do repeated um, IPM treatments and you want to blend the foliar product into that, a 0.5% solution, so 5 mil per liter, is a really good input rate because you're not going to overdo the boron. It's a, it gives you the opportunity to do multiple applications. Um, if you're doing a lot of a lot of fogging and you're doing repeated applications, you can dial that back down. I have people that use a 1% solution multiple times a week. I'm preferring to say a 1% solution would be good for a once weekly to once every two week application, especially with outdoor because they're looking at conserving water. So mm -hmm. generally it's one mil per plant per week um, as a base or about one to two mil per liter, depending on the water volume. Everyone's going to use a little bit of a different volume. So I try to be adaptive. That was very well put. Very well. Yeah. I'm so glad that you did that because you are so right. When you get into dilutions, people lose their mind. It's just, they, get, they get crazy. Yeah. And we don't impact the EC at all. The only thing that we impact is going to be the pH. Yep. So yep. it keeps it really, it keeps it really simple that way that you just, you balance your EC or your PPM on your reservoir, add quad products regulate it or do a circulation or agitate and then check the ph and then you can do your adjustments from there and that's it mm -hmm. all right and lastly real quick iodine so this is one of the big ones that people are missing especially if you're drinking um, distilled desalinated ro water if you do not have iodine in your diet you got a problem that's that's a real big uh effect on overall health. So can you speak on that a little bit? So what I can speak to on that is that it's just yet another ion that is going to be chelated. <laughs> and that I find that from the, um, at least from that swine study, to be able to show that there is an improvement in that and they're looking for that specifically. But you know, you, I, I totally, totally echo what you're saying about the RO water. You've, you have demineralized water. 
You need minerals. Your body needs minerals. Your plants need minerals. Even in just plain watering, it doesn't need to be on the EC level. You're not talking PPM. We're talking trace. But having that mineral access to the minerals is really, really important. There's a variety of minerals that are, are, are that we need, um, both people, but also as, as any organism, that they're required for various metabolic processes. So if you limit access to those, now you're requiring supplementation, which is taking you back to why we need humic and felvic to begin with. So yep. for the people that I've talked to who flush and they're like, oh, I flush with RO water. I'm like, try just adding the fulvic or just add a little bit of humic to it. Just have a little bit of mineral. It's not enough for your plant to be nourished, but it's going to signal to the roots that things are okay and they don't need to stress out. They can still do what they need to do. You can still go through the flush process, but you're not going to shock your plants. Um, there's a stressor that happens and it happens in the body too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think with the with the iodine again, I'd like to dive in more into that, but it's um I think it's a it's a it's a deeper rabbit hole. <laughs> oh, it's a deep one, all right. It's a deep one. But I, I just wanted you to talk a little bit about that because I think that's one of those traces that people are missing um, and don't realize yeah. how valuable it is. Yeah, I mean, and especially for people. I mean, that's why we have iodized salt. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you you need you need access to it, but everything is so clean that we need yeah, to we yeah we don't get it yeah if you don't get it you're deficient and you're going to see the, the the repercussions of that so yeah well listen uh, we've gone over and i want to respect your time thank you so much leah for coming on and being such thank a welcome having me. such a beautiful spirit and, and thank I you pray so you, much. yeah you rock on and keep bringing the word to all the people the masses because these are one of those things that that you know it's a gateway into the rest of the pieces of the puzzle yeah so, yeah. You're doing me a big service by it. <laughs> Thank you both so much for your knowledge and for sharing the space. I really, really appreciate it. Well, we'll have you back on in six months or so and see what's going on. Yeah, everything is in flux these days. So we'll we'll have Ken stay in touch yeah. and, and we'll see you. We'll see you again probably within a year. Amazing. Thank you so much. All right. Thank yeah. you. Ken, thank you so much. I think Av. Uh, disappeared, so I can't thank him, but uh, much love to all you guys. Cheers. Keep thank that. you so much. And with that, guys, we're going to end the show. Don't forget, I've got Andy on Wednesday and uh, the new show with the Luna Files with Luna Whitcomb on Thursdays, so you're going to want to stay tuned for that this week. And uh, I also have the Green Gold Games, an event that happened in Ontario that was very successful, and they want more live events in Ontario, uh, live cannabis events, and we actually have the first event in Calgary held on city property legally. Um, we have uh, Dave Downer coming up on next Tuesday, so you're going to want to check that out and find out what's happening with cannabis consumption legalization across Canada. And with that, guys, we'll see you on Wednesday.